My daughter feels like she ought to and wants to tell me everything about her sex life. And quite frankly, there's a lot of things I don't want to know. <laughs> I just don't want to know. It's the TMI Project Podcast, a series of stories about the too much information parts of ourselves we usually leave out because we're too ashamed or embarrassed. I'm your host, Eva Tenuto, and this is Season 3, Stories for Choice. Before we get started, just want to let you know that as the TMI implies, some content might be too much information for some listeners. And remember, your support keeps our content free and accessible to everyone who wants to listen. So if you like what you hear and you're able to chip in, thank you. You can give what you can at tmiproject.org. Either way, we're so glad you're listening. Let's dive in. Trying to create a night of storytelling about reproductive justice is challenging because, as you can imagine, and as you've heard if you've listened to the last two episodes, the stories are often tragic and hard to digest one right after the other. We didn't want to make light of a serious issue, but we did want to make sure we gave the audience room to breathe between stories by addressing some of the more lighthearted slip surprises and happy accidents. Luckily, our next storyteller, Antoinette, was willing to bear it all about a mishap with a diaphragm. The ideal time to successfully insert a diaphragm is apparently when you're in a sterile doctor's office, in the presence of an aging midwife, not when you're on the verge of an orgasm in a steamed-up hotel room. I look down at the disc. Okay, we're doing this, I say. I try once again. This time, I push harder, grunting, shooting the diaphragm out of me. I slide to the floor, arms flailing. He yells, you sure everything's okay in there? Yes, everything's fine, I insist, looking at my glistening diaphragm securely fastened to the wall. Growing up without much sex education, Antoinette had a lot to learn for herself like how to insert a diaphragm, how to enjoy her body, and also how to keep herself safe. She's not alone. According to Planned Parenthood, only 24 out of 50 states currently mandate sex education in schools. As a mom, Antoinette vowed to be a resource for her daughter and make sure she knew what she needed to know to have a healthy relationship with her body and positive sexual experiences. Antoinette was ready to be a teacher, but she was not prepared for the flood of emotions she would experience when it actually came time for her teenage daughter to put some of that information to good use. Stay tuned after her story to hear from Antoinette today. I'm frozen in place after what I see when my 15-year-old daughter steps out of the shower. For a brief, fleeting, hopeful moment, I naively believe the purple-reddish marks on my baby's chest, just above the towel, are bruises. Then the mouth shape of the marks registers. I'm paralyzed. Oblivious that her mother has just seen hickeys on her only child's chest for the first time, she looks at me puzzled, until I scream, What is that? What are they? Where did they come from? What did you do? What happened? (laughs) I start to hyperventilate. It's too soon, echoes inside my head. I have visions of the summer when I was 12 years old and sucker-punched poor Philip in the face during a game of catch and kiss because he caught me and I was afraid he was going to impregnate me. 
The inconvenient theory I had at the time I punched poor Phil was that saliva could mix when you kiss, and then you swallow it, and a baby would form in your stomach. <laughs> All my theories were missing one fundamental clue, the difference between a boy's body and my own. I had some intimation that human reproduction was closely related to the tingling feeling I got every time I heard Tom Jones sing, or when a boy paid any attention to me at all, but it was nothing specific. <laughs> my parents didn't speak of such things. Even after my mother heard from a neighbor that several months later that Philip and I were dry humping in a field around the corner from our apartment, <laughs> she didn't consider that I might need to know how my body works. She never took time to explain or forewarn me about the true precariousness of sex or my sexuality. Then once I learned from confusing conversations with my girlfriends how women really get pregnant, I vowed that would never happen to my child. I would begin to explain how she got in utero while she was still in there. <laughs> and I have, in fact, fulfilled my vow and prepared my daughter vigil vigilantly for the emergence of her libido. At 15, she knows everything I know about sex. I'm the neighborhood mom everyone else's kids come to with questions like, do boys kiss girls' privates? as well as the accessible source of technical information about STDs and birth controls. So as I sit on the ottoman fighting nausea and terror, the rush of burgeoning sexuality and all that it means floods me. I've come a long way, learning about my body and how to enjoy it, feeling comfortable in my skin finally at 41 years old, and I've educated my daughter about how it all works so that she will not have to figure anything out and she can make great decisions and handle herself and her body wisely. And despite the fact that she's now doing that, I'm trembling, terrified on her behalf. She asks, what's wrong? Are you okay? No, I'm not okay. Despite all the talking and preparedness I've given her, I never thought to prepare myself. We stare at each other for a long moment, and I think, she just got those boobs. How can there be hickeys on them already? <laughs> she says calmly and matter-of-factly, well, now that you've seen them, you should know that I think I want to have sex. Why? <laughs> because I've been with Stephen for two months now and we're ready, she says. You're 15. Sex will complicate this relationship, make you emotionally attached, and it will make breaking up excruciating. Besides, no 15-year-old boy is any good at sex. It's not worth it. <laughs> Maybe so, but I still want to do it. Why? Because I want to. Isn't that the reason people have sex? I could ask her why she wants to, but she will not be able to articulate it. I know the desire is coming from a place she can't access, let alone express. You can't, I say, my voice shaking, until you're on birth control and I get you some condoms. I know, Mom. That's why I'm telling you. I need some time to adjust to this. Just give me some time. Okay, Mom. She's handling this perfectly doing everything she's supposed to, including telling me before she goes further. I've prepared her well. I should feel gratified by this parenting success. <laughs> Instead, I grieve for the loss of innocence. I'm overwhelmed by the awareness of what the steps she's about to take will mean for her. I feel like I'm letting her go into a dark, haunted house on her own for the first time. All I can do is square her up, watch her go, and wait by the exit. We talked to Antoinette recently, and here's what she had to say. 
But I think it also was a recognition of my own sexuality and how my generation, I'm 56 years old, back in the 70s, it was hit or miss with regard to whether or not your parents even talked to you about sex. Mine didn't. And the leap that it took to come to terms with how I was going to address sexuality with my daughter at a time, well, and I married the man I lost my virginity to. So I didn't even have like a worldly experience that I could share with her. And yet I had to pass that along. One of the things they don't tell you in the parenting manual is that even the good things that you do sometimes have um, downsides and that you have to be prepared to deal with those. The upside of uh, the payoff of that investment was that she knew how to be sexually responsible from a very young age. But there was a downside too, which was when there were slip-ups, the stress of it, not only the stress of uh, having taken a risk and putting herself at risk, but also of letting me down because I was so clear about what, what she needed to do in order to stay safe. That's been a source of anxiety for her, especially as she gets older. Talking is important, but I also was the parent who put a giant box of condoms in my daughter's room, like in plain sight, not just for her, but for her friends. I didn't want any of the, of the people in her circle to be putting themselves at risk because they could or couldn't speak to their parents. So it was there and they used them. It wasn't just like words. It was also actions. And I wanted to make it easy for them to be safe at the very least. A special thanks to Antoinette for sharing her story. Stay tuned for next week's episode when we hear from Elise who also had to do some sex education, but in her case, she needed to teach her mom how babies are made. It's another incredible story you don't want to miss. I'm Eva Tenuto. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. TMI Project is available to offer true storytelling workshops and performances for your school or workplace. This episode of Season 3 of the TMI Project podcast, Stories for Choice, was produced in partnership with Radio Kingston. It was written by me and edited, produced, and mixed by Daisha Clay. Our theme song is Secrets by Edison Woods. Our operations and programs manager is Blake File. Our marketing and digital coordinator is Laura Marie Ruoco. Our administrative assistant is Elijah Jackson. Our graphic designer is Lauren Gill. Our workshop leaders are Perla Iora, Capely Kalnick, Haley Downs, Jonathan Gonzalez, Rain Grayson, Ray Lipkin, Dara Lori, Micah, Julie Novak, Blake File, and me, Eva Tenuto. To learn more, support our work, and find a special writing prompt so you can start telling your story, visit tmiproject.org slash podcast. <laughs>